Hey guys, Jared Duckett, Duckett Lad Dental CPAs and Advisors here again with my business partner, Bill Ladd, and Dr. Michael Abernathy as well. Guys, appreciate you joining in again. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to be here. But what, uh, kind of going back to the first and second episode, if you think about, you know, episode one, the mindset shift, and then episode two, basically talking about how to get, you know, patients back into the chairs after they get through the COVID-19 pandemic here, really want to switch today's episode or topic to really talk about some tactical things and really what you can be doing right now as you're sitting at home, probably what you need to be doing right now to set your business up. And I want to talk about the topic of self-diagnosis. And Dr. Michael, I, I know Abernathy, you're, you're really big on this and it, it kind of, you know, we're big on this at our firm too, but I think the first time I'm just sitting here thinking when we met, I was up giving a presentation using uh, or basically talking about self-diagnosis. And I was talking about how we use our dental scorecard and you actually raised your hand and I went over and you had a question and actually perfected, you know, the scorecard that we were kind of using. So this is, this is really, you know, a perfect topic for you um, and a perfect topic for everybody out there and every single business owner out there. So on the self-diagnosis topic, I want to just ask just a, just a general question. Self-diagnosis uh, in your business, what, what does that mean? What does self-diagnosis mean to you? I, you know, when, 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 when I talk to doctors, I'm, I'm surprised. Like if, Jared, if you were a doctor I'm talking to and I asked, how long does it take you to do a crown prep? You, you'd tell me, but it's kind of like if I had the staff in there and they go, yeah, you might have done that one time that fast, but that's not, they're kind of legends in their own minds. So they, they, they have this optimist bias where they kind of see themselves as, you know, um, or I ask them, how many uh, PPOs do you take? They have no idea. How many new patients you got? They'll name a number, but it's not the right number because I'm going to ask them to send me data that has that right number in it. And, and when, when I, when I do that, it wasn't close. It was 30, 40% off. And, and so let's assume, you know, we're all facing this problem, uh, a self-assessment, you know, if, if we could just tip a mirror up in front of people and they could see, you know, the moles and bumps on their noses and one eye is lower than the other, they need to see the practice as it really is. And so self-diagnosis is doing that. Now, on the other side, you know, we all come from science backgrounds and we know that you never want to go into an experiment with a supposition or idea of how it may turn out because then you read the data wrong, right? So I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. And, you know, as we get further into this, I'm going to give you some bullet points, a way to look at your practice. Now, in the first, I don't know if it was the first video sent out or newsletter, there was some links that your listeners could just click on. And they were articles I wrote called Diagnose Yourself. And they take and, and build this out really big. And I'm going to take and dumb it back down to bullet points. And then, you know, when you're writing things, I think, okay, I'm really doing a good job of writing this and you'll understand it. Well, most people don't. Okay. They don't. And so talking about it, because you'll have different perspectives than the doctors would. So I'm, I'm excited about just talking about that. So the self-diagnosis would be the importance of it is like, if, if we were lost or, and I think we use this in one of the videos, or you're in Disney World or Disneyland, and you don't know exactly where you are to get to somewhere and you don't have a map, there's always a kiosk to tell you where you are. You are here. Self-diagnosis tells you where your starting place is. Mm -hmm. 
it would be foolish to think that every person that listens to this is at the same position in their practice or that there's not one area they fall really short on and they do other things incredibly well. But we have time to look at this and time to come back with the idea that I can fix these things. I just want to give you something actionable that you can work on right now. And so, so Dr. Abernathy, when you, yep. when you look at this and when you talk to dentists out there, do you find resistance in, in really wanting to take a, a hard look at themselves? Or do you find most dentists are very agreeable to try to put their, you be vulnerable and put their weaknesses out on the table and try to get better? I don't think anybody likes to like expose their neck to a predator. You know, and at the same time, uh, a lot of the doctors that call me are desperate. And so they'll listen to the truth. But again, the, you know, the, you can't handle the truth kind of deal, you know? And so I, you have to be very careful when you're talking to doctors. Like if I were talking to you, Bill, and we're talking about your practice, I mean, it would be okay if your staff said something about this, but I'm a stranger coming into your house and saying this. But you will be surprised at how much I can figure out by just looking at a few numbers. And you're going to go, okay, I don't like listening to this, but he's right on every point. So I look at at dentistry. I mean, it is an art. It is, you know, we are doctors, but it's also a business. and, And data doesn't lie. And so the best thing that you could possibly do is learn how to ask the right questions and look at the right data. And I, I'm of the opinion that most doctors don't know what to ask or what to look at. Mm. So in the self-diagnosis, I'm giving you things that I think would most lead you to more profit, less stress, staff staying with you forever, and all your patients loving you. Okay, so I mean, that's the way I look at it. So if I'm hearing you correctly, and we'll get into this a little further, but is most of the self-diagnosis that doctors are doing more quantitative as opposed to qualitative? Yeah. Now, on, on, your, on your sheet that you had that kind of helps you self-diagnose, you had, uh, you know, good, better, best. You had yeah. six or seven categories. It went around, And then it, it, it wrote out, you know, kind of a descriptor of what that looked like, wherever you fit in a box. I like... I mean, most of us are visual learners. And, and so if I could put it in a bar graph, that would be even better. Or a pie, you know, that would be better. But again, if we can quantitate it, then they can go back and check. And it's not like I'm a legend in my own mind. I've got a great self-image for no apparent reason. It's like, okay, I'm falling short there. Because the numbers, they said, I need to hit in this range of numbers. Doesn't mean that you're a bad person. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that you've got this big L on your forehead that you're a loser. What it means is there's an opportunity there to improve that area of your practice. Now, again, I was joking about being nose blind, but those commercials are perfect. They're talking about Febreze or something, but, you know, you said, you think your car smells like this, but it really smells like, and you see a jockey strap hung on the back of the chair and, and old socks, and, you know, and they do the Febreze because you've gone nose blind. I mean, I walk into doctor's offices all the time, and I'm really surprised that they don't realize that, you know, there is coffee stains on the carpet, that there's uh, – everything's cluttered. Uh, there's, you know, I, I just all these little things. And, and, again, since 50% of the doctors are going to be female, 50 are going to be males, but a lot of times I'm talking to the staff where most of them are female. And I, I just tell them, I said, look, if uh, name anybody you think's really hot, that's really 
the the person. I mean, in my day, it might have been Brad Pitt or you know somebody like that. But let's say he's coming to dinner on Saturday. Would your house look the way it looks now? No. I mean, would it smell the way it smells? No. I mean, granted, you pro you probably tell your husband to go bowling and and move the bed into the living room. But I mean, but you would it wouldn't be the same because they're an honored guest, right? And and all of our patients are honored guests, and so we are so blind when we walk into these offices to see the things that they see. I mean, water stains on the drop ceilings, bugs in the lights, certain smells, sounds, you know, from the coming from the operatories, everything matters. Yeah. So again, we need to realize what's important. And, and for this particular piece that we're doing here, it's more of the analytical quantitative, you know, part of our practices yeah. that we can look at pretty black or white. You're either there or you're not. Yep. Now, you mentioned the, the phrase desperate. And, um, you know, right now you have a lot of people that probably feel somewhat desperate just because yeah. so much is out of their control. This is exactly. a great time to really dissect this self-diagnosis. What else? I mean, you'd have time to do that right now. So I, I think that's what, what these people, you know, a lot of them are going to want to know, Dr. Abernathy, is, is how does it work? How, how, do you, okay. how do you help them do that? So, John Gardner uh, wrote a statement that, that basically says that most organizations develop a functional blindness to their own defects. In other words, okay, it, it's not, they're not suffering because they can't resolve the problems. They just can't see the problems. Yeah. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to help you. I mean, remember, denial is not a river in Egypt. Okay, so, you know, we're going to look at some things that are pretty black and white, and you get to decide whether or not you want to attack those now, because I think you have plenty of time to do it. I think, you know, at the time that we're doing this, you know, there, there, there is this uh, general, I hope it's optimism, uh, but I think it's not bounded in reality in that we're going to hit the peak of this this week or next. Well, that's not the peak where most of you are. That's the peak in New York, okay? And then it may be three, four, five, six, two months before we at the peak in different places. So we have time to fix this, you know, and this is not a vacation. And the people that act now will define where they are when we come back. And that's, that's what I want. I want to help them, you know, have more control over everything. So do you mean just go down these and explain them kind of? Quickly? I, I, yeah, I think if we could just, if we could give the listeners just a general understanding of, of how do you self-diagnose yourself? Exactly what do you look at to, to compare yourself up against to see how well you're doing right now? Okay. Well, and, 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 and part of this is going to be from your practice management software, right? And, and this, these are things that there are endless numbers of layers, but I'm going to give you the ones that I think are most important, and then you can chew on them. And if you want more, you just call me, okay? Um, let's, let's first of all define what an average practice is because that's real exact. I mean, you can go to the ADA website and, it, it, you know, again, they do around $647,000 a year in collections, okay? I guess if you divide by 12, you're the, the CPAs, it's about 55000 a month, give or take. Yeah. Now, they have 20 to 30 new patients, a month. They have one hygienist. They have one assistant, one front desk, and maybe a girl Friday. Someone that can kind of help 
I, I hope that's not a bad term, but I mean, uh, you know, a member that can help assist, but also help the front desk. Sure. That's your general average practice. Overhead was 67 to 75%. Okay. So that's the average practice. Now, I don't think anybody walked across that graduation stage going, and you know, and they, they, they grab their diploma and they're going, well, this is my new diploma. Uh, it, it's my, it's my baby, pamper, uh, baby wife. Okay. But you know, I can't wait to be average. Okay. But you know, you go out like me where, you know, you've had your 50th high school reunion, you've, you know, all that stuff. And you realize that only about four to 5% of the dentist will, will actually end up financially independent. Okay. Mm. If we're talking to young doctors, young doctor, this isn't just a virus deal. This is life choices. You can control how things, you know, work out. Okay, so new patients. We know the monkey score, and that's a horrible thing to say, isn't it? The default setting average is, is, is 20 to 30, okay? Now, I'm assuming if you're just an average person, you show up most of the time, and you don't quit early most of the time, and you've got an average personality, and you got families and whatever. But if you want to grow... I'm going to give you benchmarks that you should shoot for. Now, I realize you're going to fall short on some of these, but I'm going to give you my reasoning behind it too. We know you can hit 20 or 30 new patients a month. That's kind of the default setting, okay? But in a super general dental practice, and it has nothing to do with production, but you're going to have more than an average practice, more than that 30. So somewhere in the range of 40 to 70. Uh, that could vary from demographic to demographic because where I lived, uh, the average age was 32. Uh, they had 2.1 children, uh, dual income families. They didn't work in McKinney. They drove to Dallas, you know. And so I had more people. Everybody had a college education. So no one needed anything in dentistry. Literally, comprehensive dentistry in my demographic was a bleaching tray and cleaning. Okay. So I saw more people. But you need more than the average practice. Now, the secret here. That's 40 to 70 new patients per doctor. Look at it one other way. Hygienist, in an average practice, say, okay, because there's only one in that average practice, they go 20 to 30 new patients. Let's say they were at the height at 30, okay? That means that's 360 new patients a year. An average hygienist can see between five and 600 people every year if they see them twice a year. Do you do, do, you do a lot of... of uh, Scaling root plantings? No, it'll be less. So, but the point is, every five to 600 people, you should need to hire a hygienist, okay? So take note, if you've been in practice more than three or four years and you don't have at least two hygienists and you're an average practice, there's something wrong. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't make sense because, you know, if, if you were, because most doctors say, oh, my patients love me. They, they, they just, they bring me presents and stuff like that. And I said, but you're averaging about 600 new patients every two years and you still only have one hygienist. So you've hit a tipping point where yeah. the number of people that are coming in are balanced or counterbalanced by the number of people leaving. Okay. Dr. Abernathy, let me break in real quick. I got a question yeah. for you. When you're looking at that 40 to 70, do you yeah. see any change in that number in the uh, post COVID-19 environment we're going to be coming out of? No, I, I, I think you're going to see, I mean, I, I probably misunderstood what you asked, Bill, but I think we're going to have about maybe 40% of the patients we had before we went in. Hmm. But as a goal, okay, so what we're trying to do 
is there's we can do a whole broadcast just on reality. Okay, this yeah. is what it'll look like when you get back. Okay. But that's not where you, what you're going to settle for. Okay, and so again, with the proper marketing, with the proper hours, with the proper demographics, with with you know uh, a practice that people want to go see, these numbers are easily hit. Yeah, and it may be even more important if you're going to see some attrition that get you hit those higher numbers of the new patients who maybe are out there looking because yeah. some of the attrition in, in the dental space we talked about in previous episodes. There may not, there may be some practices that don't come out of this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, with that being said, the most important thing of this isn't the number of new patients because the doctors are going to go 40 to 70. I couldn't see that many. Okay. It's having at least 70% referred. Okay. I wouldn't even recommend spending a dollar on marketing if you can't get a 50% referral rate. Mm, that's huge right there. Look at one number. One number in any business. How many people make it to you from direct referrals? Because that is the best definition of you be doing a good job. So if you're doing 50% or more, you're doing a good job. You still could do better. We all could. But if you're doing below 50%, you need to take a hard look because – you can't get better at giving people what they don't want. And if, if you're not getting those referrals, there's something wrong there. Well, that's your cheapest, that's your cheapest form of marketing too. I, yeah. Now it is expensive from the standpoint of some doctors because it takes time. Sure. It takes relationships. It takes hiring the right staff, refining your systems, having a nice office. I mean, you know, it, 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 it expands from there. We could do 30 minutes on just each one of these. And yeah. it's that it's that referral rate. So I want you to go back and see. Now here's the here's the weird thing is ninety percent of the doctors watching this do not track number of direct referrals. And none of your practice management software tracks it either. You have to yep. do it physically. Okay. But that's an important number. And you can't just go, Oh, I think I have forty fifty percent direct referrals. No, you don't. Okay. Yep. It's really difficult to hit. Demographics. I'm sorry, in this post COVID financial second spike, whatever happens here, um, you can be in the wrong location. If, if you've been there more than 10 or 15 years, you probably are in the wrong location. I'm sorry, demographics, race, income levels, everything changes. So you even need to look at that. And if I had 10 years left in my career and I, and I by looking at this, we figured out I'm in the wrong demographics, I'm in the wrong area, then I would consider moving. I mean, you could write all that off. You, you know, you might be able to double your practice. But this ratio of patients to doctor in McKinney, Texas, average is about one dentist for every 685 people. In our newest zip code, it's one dentist for every 128 people. You can't make a living here. You're going to yeah. go bankrupt. You, I mean, you know, that optimist bias just doesn't work. You're not the one person that can pull this out, Okay. Yeah. There's, there's probably so many doctors right now that just heard that and they, they probably just automatically said, no, I'm not even going to look at that. I'm staying where I'm exactly. at. And, and that's and easy I'm, to do. I mean, as a business owner too, I'd kind of say the same thing, but it's kind of the pond fishing mentality, right? If you, if you, if you still keep fishing in the same pond, um, sometimes you might need to switch ponds. And you know, if you really want to be a good fisherman, you don't only pick the right location, you pick the right bait. Yeah. And people, sure. I don't want to see kids. And if they're in McKinney, Texas, where 47% of the population is children, 
you might as well back up the wall, slide down, put your head between your knees and kiss your tush goodbye because there are entry points in every business, right? And I'm sorry, in a pedo practice, they own the keys to the kingdom because every day they have parents go, can't you do my fillings? Everybody wants to be treated like a kid, okay? Now, again, we did lots of Crown and Bridge, we did, but it was because we took care of everybody else. Uh, I'm going to skip keeping comparables comparable and the 325 square feet per op. I mean, if someone's out there about to build an office, um, it's not 325 square feet in an operatory. It's just 325 square feet per operatory. So if you wanted to have six ops, you can easily do that in under 2,000 square feet. I've seen one office within a 10-minute drive of where my practice was that has 1,100 square feet per operatory. Mm. Now, as a CPA, can you tell me what's going to be hard to do every month? Pay your overhead, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. Now, th this next one is real important because people, I don't know any consultant, anybody that looks at it this way, okay? Production per op, production per staff person. Love that second one. Okay. Now, you have six ops. And ideally, you want to be getting about twenty-five to 30000 of production. And that's net adjusted production, so collectible, okay, out of each op. Okay. So, if it was 30, then six times 30 is $180,000. Now, okay, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying if, you, if you're not doing that, just divide the number of ops into an average month's collection. And if it falls below twenty-five to thirty you have room for improvement. Now, what it really says is that if you do fall short of that, then don't tell me that you need a bigger office. You don't. You still have potential. There's not a physical capacity blockage there. You have adequate facility. You're just not utilizing it well. And I'll have doctors say, well, is that hygiene rooms too? And I went, yeah, it's, it even counts the room you don't use hardly at all. Okay, it's... <laughs> It's, it's an operatory, okay? Okay, you know, and, okay, so that would be people from, uh, y'all are in Missouri, so that would be people from Arkansas, right? <laughs> in between us. Everybody, everybody's got that state, right? We, we got to be clients right? in Arkansas. We'll, uh, we'll keep our mouth shut on that. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or the Aggies versus the University of Texas. I mean, everybody's right. got, you know, somebody that they do that to. Okay, now, staff production. This is, when we look at maybe, you know, overhead, one of the biggest violations I see in overhead strategies and statistics are going to be compensation costs. Yeah, for sure. So again, we take the number of staff, divide that into our average collections, okay, on a month. So if we did a hundred thousand and we had ten people, that would be ten thousand yeah. per employee. Average is around 13,000. Yep. So if you're below, I mean, you don't want to be average. Okay. Nobody wants to be average. And I'll say this from a, from a, a consumer standpoint and, and as, as a patient, no patient wants an average dental practice either. Okay. And they're the only person that gets to vote. So, but ideally it needs to be closer to 20, 20 to 25. Now, let me say something kind of retro about those two things. If you get close to twenty-five thousand, let's say you're at twenty-three thousand per op, or you get close to twenty thousand per staff person, you're at eighteen or nineteen. It's time to hire another staff person, or it's time to add another operatory or move. 
Okay, now, we'll feel like it. There will still be things in your schedule where it does not look or feel like you need more operatories. But even in a Protestant church, when it gets to be 80% full, the church will die. It just stops growing. I guess all the little Christians won't sit any closer than 80%. I don't know. But the minute they build a new sanctuary with more pews and stuff, it takes off growing again. Same thing here. You can buy a great, uh, a great white shark, shark, put him in a, you know, a 10-foot-long aquarium, and he'll never grow over about 12 inches. But out in the wild, 10, 12, 20 feet long. Okay, yep, big yeah. okay? So, again, it, it's kind of like if I were jogging on asphalt, and then I hit the beach, and my footfalls were the same. I'm still, my foot turnover is the same. I'm going to slow down. I'm not moving forward as fast. That's what it feels like as you produce the, uh, as you get close to those numbers. Okay. Now I want to ask you this because we're going to talk about overhead and P and L's. I'm going to skip this next one, next point, and use it when we talk about that. Okay. Sure. So let me let me talk about hygiene. Now, and I know there's staff listening to this, and we probably need a whole deal on just how do we pay staff, how many staff do we need, you know, all that other. Now, if we think back to this previous slide where we were talking about twenty to 25000 per employee, if this thing, you know, when they ring the bell and it's over, most likely you will not need all the staff that you needed before. Okay. Now, I'm just like you are. I want my staff to be paid more than anybody else could get paid anywhere else. I want to do, I want to get them back on the job as quickly as I can. But there's a chance that you may end up only needing a front desk and an assistant for two or three weeks. And then you might need two assistants and, and still nobody wants to get their teeth cleaned. And then you finally hire back one of your hygienists part-time. Okay, so again, when we start over, you need to look at where you were. And if you weren't even close to 20,000 per you know, uh, employee or 25 per, you have an opportunity as you hire people out back, do not hire them back until yeah. you hit about 20000 per employee. Now, we made that mistake at first. We did it. We hired a front desk. We hired an assistant. We hired a hygienist. And we never caught up with that. And our overheads sucked after that. You have an opportunity to correct that. Now, could you lose some staff? Yes, but I think every office will when we come back. Hygiene is one of those areas. It's the only other person in the entire office, unless you have an associate, but you have doctors and hygienists that can control what they do. Okay. And even in managed care, hygienists can do $1,100 to $2,500 a day unassisted, okay? Yeah. They have to diagnose scaling and root planning. They've got to be productive. Not every, pay, get, uh, every recall patient gets a 60-minute recall. Okay? I, mean, I mean, I've seen hygiene schedules where the hygienist is paid an hourly wage, and they'll have a patient who's coming in and they've got an upper denture, a lower partial, and number 22 and number 27 are the only teeth in there. You know, they've got two teeth, and they still have an hour scheduled, okay? Now, or, or they'll have a child come in, and they take longer than 20 or 30 minutes with them. Okay, that's not realistic in our world anymore. Yeah. Hygienists have continued to either make the same or be paid more every year for the last 20 years, yet when insurance came in and it switched to PPOs and managed care, we've been paid less and less for the services that hygienists actually perform, yet we haven't changed that trend 
and what we pay them. And what I have doctors do, and, and this isn't on here, but I'm going to ask you to do this. Run a production by provider report for, let's say, all of 2019, just 12 months. Let's do it before the virus hit. Okay, so that's easy to do. We got a year. And then have your CPA give you a total pay statement for each of those providers. Mm-hmm. Now, you actually are paying them more than that because there are certain things that won't show up on there. Sure, okay. sure. Uniforms and uh, workman's comp and staff meetings. and So you need to add a little bit to it. Okay, but if we divide what they were paid by what the net adjusted production, okay, Remember, it's not production. It's net adjusted production. What you could collect, we divide what they're paid by that, the big number into the small number. It converts that to a percentage. You're going to – there will be this moment where you couldn't drive a pin with a sledgehammer up your bottom. <laughs> you're going to go, coming, coming oh, my gosh, I'm paying my hygienist 54% yeah. of everything they yeah. do. That is not sustainable. Would you pay an associate that? No. This is a hard discussion to have with your staff. But the only fair way to pay people that can control what they produce is through a you get to eat what you kill and clean, more of a combination or a hybrid. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work any other way. Do we have hygienists today that are paid hourly that produce this much? Absolutely. They're great. But we have got to get the cost of hygiene down to around 30 percent, maybe 33 at the most. Okay. That, that feels like that could be another uh, one of our videos is kind of how you would compensate hygienists to try to incentivize. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And, and, you know, if you will allow us to do this, you know, and, and every one of these has another 15 or 20 minutes below that you go, oh, now I understand. Okay. Yeah. So I only brought that up because I w- I'm thinking this is the one area. These will be the last people you hire back is hygiene. Okay. They're just people will be scared of coming back and be have a hygienist be a vector for the disease. And I just I, I know that's going to be a little slower coming back. It may only be a matter of a month, but it could be six. So you're going to hire them back slowly. Just make you hire them back in a way that fits your vision and your plan and basically your budget that you're setting up right now based on these numbers. OK, yeah, yeah. Okay. they should do a third of the total production. If you do one hundred thousand dollars a month and you had the hygiene department, it doesn't matter if it's one or two, but again, should be doing $33,000 a month, about a third. If they're not, do this. Take and figure out what 1% of your collections is a year. Okay, so in a million-dollar practice, it's $10,000. Okay, now, they should be doing 33% of the collections or production leading to collections in your office. If you did $100,000 a month, okay, they should be doing around 33. But let's say that percentage-wise, they're only doing about 27. So that's a shortfall of 6%. Should be doing 33%. Okay, they're doing 27. Multiply that number times 1% and see if you're happy with leaving that on the table. Because I'm not change. Yeah, it's a chunk of change. And then and then just assume a 5% return over 20 years, yeah. it's, it's it's more of a chunk of a change. I mean, you know, it's like you could drive the same that's, car. That's the whole that's the whole mentality. Okay. 1% on a lot is a lot. You know? Well, and say it works for collections the same way. What if you had just a 98% collection rate? That was a standard 20 years ago. But if you're collecting anything less than 100%, 
you've got improvement because we're getting people to prepay. We're not the bank anymore. We're, I mean, you know, all of those things should factor in. So again, hygiene is really important. We could spend a whole time talking about then, but the whole goal in hygiene is that you should have twice the number of hygiene hours as doctor hours. If you have one doctor, then you need to have one full-time hygienist. Uh, and then you hire the next full-time hygienist. That would give you twice the number of hygiene hours. By the time you do that, you run out of the ability to check them and inspire the patients, and it's time to grow and add the third hygienist and maybe hire a doctor. Okay? Okay. Uh, your, your production. I don't care what your production is a day, but let's say your goal was 5,000 a day for the office. Okay. Or just, let's say just for the doctor. Okay, for the doctor. 5,000 for the doctor. For you to hit that goal, you have to do at least 60% of the day in substantial cases. Now, a substantial case would be anything at or about the fee of a crown. So let's just, we have imaginary practice. Let's say a crown was $1,000. I know it's sometimes it's 600, it's 800, but just so I can do this in my head. So if your goal was 5,000 and a, a crown or its equivalent is $1,000, that's a substantial case, then $3,000 of that day has to be done in substantial cases. Now, let me give you an example of a substantial case. It doesn't have to be a crown. It could be full mouth extractions. It could be six fillings. It could be an uh, uh, impression for a denture. Uh, it could be uh, a root canal uh, buildup and post. It could be, it does, you know, starting an ortho case, an Invisalign case. But you can't do it on single fillings and stuff like that. So that's the secret. I mean, where you can talk about scheduling all day long and it would all come down you figure out a way to get 60% of your production every day to be substantial cases, you'd have a kick-ass practice because one, you've learned how to do case acceptance, how to talk to people about it because they have to accept it for it to have a substantial case in there. You've inspired enough patients they're coming back. I don't know if everybody else, maybe you haven't noticed it, but occasionally I'll do a filling. I know I should have done a crown on it, but I tell them, I need to do a crown on this, but I understand you can't afford it, but so I'll do this, but it's going to break. I have people come back in a couple of years and said, well, Mike was right. It, it broke. And, you know, he said, I need that crown, you know, and, and they start coming in every day. And so then you add same-day dentistry to it. I mean, it, it's foolish to look at this and not see the ripple effect as it goes out from this. 100% collection rate, at least. So if you just have 98%, it's easy to get that past 100%. We're going to do prepayment discounts. We're going to figure out a way to fit this into their budget. We're going to have people at the front desk. It takes a special person, so you owe me money now, okay? You don't let them in. In fact, if we had somebody coming in, and let's say the insurance didn't cover, we made an estimate, so we, we, we estimate what their insurance is going to pay. We always make an error in our favor, at least 7% in our favor. So if the insurance doesn't pay us as much, we still look good, okay? But we come in, and they still owe us $50. They don't get in the door that day to do the next treatment until they pay that. In a nice way, we can do that. It's like, Mrs. Yeah. Jones, your insurance paid this. It's, you have a $50 balance, and your balance today after we just work with this, you'll be numb. when You always go, benefit, benefit, and make a request. Okay, you know, you're going to be numb. You probably don't want to stop at the front desk. Why don't we just go ahead and take care of that on the way in? Dr. Nathan's running on, on schedule. You know, then you won't even have to stop, blah, blah, blah. You know, so... We've got to increase our fees at least twice a year. Now, this used to be a good strategy. It, it kind of sucky now, but it's still necessary. 
you sign a contract with a PPO, 75% of all the patients in the average practice will see are managed care. And so by raising your fees, make sure, I'm surely you're doing this, when you file on their insurance, you're filing your fee for service fees. You're sending that to the insurance company and then they alter the EOBs to tell you what they're gonna pay. You don't put down, if they only allow 800 for a crown, you don't put 800, you put 1100, whatever, whatever your fee is. So again, to keep up with inflation and to keep up with any increases in your reimbursement from a managed care, you have to continually raise your fees. We raise our fees anywhere from two to 4% a year. And we'll do 2% in January. We'll do one or 2% in June or July. And again, it'll only be a little bit, but again, it constantly is raising that bar for the insurance company too. Yeah. And then I can't see the last one down there. Uh, it says re recall, recall, recall rate at 70%. Okay. And that, that speaks to attrition. Okay. If, okay. So what you ought to do on, on recall and, and, I, and I realize that you're not working yet, but let's pretend I'm talking to your hygienist and I go, okay, hygienist, hey guys, do you pre-book your, you know, the folks that you do cleans on today for recall six months, three months out, but in the future sometime? They're going to go, yes, sir, we do. I said, okay, it's so like 50%, 60, 70, 80. Oh no, way over 90%. I said, okay. And so I take the computer and I turn and turn it around and I go out three months, four months, five, somewhere inside that six month period. And I look at that schedule. You know what I normally find is there's four people on that schedule, two in the morning, two in the afternoon. So if you're doing 90%, you know, you ask real nice when you're a stranger, but you know, you can do that now. You look out three or four months, look out in August, look out in, you know, sometime within, you know, six months from March, you know, wherever that is. And look, did they pre-book everybody? If you look and you skip around a couple of weeks, you go, it's like less than 50%. National average is 42%. Mm. You've got a huge gold mine if you change your recall reactivation strategy. This is going to be so important. We can do a whole show just on that. Yeah. But again, don't believe what they say. There is one or two things. When you go out there, you're going to look and it's either going to be completely full, which is bad because there's no place for a new patient or it's not full and they told you it was gonna be full. Your goal is going to be to reschedule 100% of the people, but only schedule 70% of any one column in the future. Okay, yeah. so we, got, we got eight people we're gonna reschedule. So they're all gonna be on the schedule in the future, but only six of them will be in your column. The other two will be in a different column. And then if you had two hygienists working for you about we could use the people in the other column to fill spaces that people are rescheduling, or it's completely full. You need to hire another hygienist, as you well should need to, if they came back. Yeah. And so, if they're not coming back, you know, you know, you got a problem. So, Doctor Abernathy, you go over all these metrics, if you will, to, to kind of self-diagnose yourself against, yeah. you know, hygienist production, and I mean everything you just went over. I think one question I would have is is now is the time to do it. I mean, you have time to do it, so yeah. why not self-diagnose yourself right. now? Right, right. The question, it, let's say you do it now, how often do you need to keep diagnosing yourself to see, because it doesn't make sense to just do a diagnosis and then 
don't test yourself again if you want. every month at least i mean every month and i mean if they're using i mean we didn't talk about the inflow outflow of money in the form of a profit right. loss or you know which is yeah. a key okay but i mean my staff because i don't want to call it a bonus it was a bonus but it was really profit sharing okay but their average profit sharing check was two or three thousand dollars a month every for each one of them okay it became a significant part of their of their income and in a way we did away with longevity based raises we did away with cost of living raises i mean ultimately you can't pay a cost of living raise if you don't produce more every year okay and so again i think we could dumb this down to about seven numbers and then the p l if you could watch those, let's say, for example, you didn't have the number of new patients. Now, and this is where you could just expand forever. Then you've got to go, well, how many people didn't schedule after they came in? You can do that with a routing slip. Okay. And you'll find that they go, they go, they come in, meet the hygienist. Uh, then they meet uh, the doctor and then they meet the hygienist again. And then they go to the front desk and they do the financial arrangements and then they don't come back. Okay. There's something wrong right there. That, that routing slip, they all fall off that point. Or they come back and the doctor works on them and they never come back after the first visit. Maybe the doctor is hurting them. Maybe, you know, we don't know, but you know, you're constantly diagnosing yourself. This is a person that has, I, I hate to even use this example, but in a way, I've never used this before, but in a way, we were all diagnosed with a, a lymphoma or a cancer that's in remission. And it's been five years, let's say, and we're doing pretty good but we're all subject to the fact that all the circumstances changes and the disease could come back and you get real yeah. good at checking those vitals yeah okay so check often is what you're saying yeah yeah, yeah. it's kind of like how often do you tell your wife you love her well, yeah before somebody else does okay. <laughs> I mean, you know it's like yeah often you know it's like do that and uh you can't so, do it enough right yeah no. i mean it's i don't want you micromanaging this and and truly most of what we're talking about here, including the PL, my staff saw our PL every month. Yeah. It became, they understood, I mean, again, it was a purpose driven practice, doctor led, staff owned. Those were the three overriding things. And part of that staff ownership mentality of keeping them a little longer is I shared the ups and downs with them and we made the decisions together. I think that's real important of building a team. Sure. Most practices are really just a group of people that work together. Yeah. And you have an opportunity to build a team. And I think most of you in hard times where money's short and demand has dropped, you will naturally bring back the people first that mean the most to you. Yeah. Okay. That's good stuff. Okay. I mean, I'm sitting here jotting down my notes, Bill. I think you do too. I think <laughs> okay. I've got like five. Well, I know. I'm different. sorry. I talk so well, fast. No. Everybody... Here's what I would say to here. Here's how I would try to sum it up is you spoke early on about you can go anywhere and find average numbers. ADA will give you average number. And if that, if that's what you want, then, then by all means measure yourself against those. But what you have given us here are some very simple quantitative numbers with maybe the exception of the referral percentage that you can pull easily and see Here's where I was pre-COVID-19. Here's where I need to be when this thing ramps back up. I mean, that, that, that is fantastic information. 
Dr. Abernathy. I, 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 that's, that's the stuff that will make people better. If they well, and in future episodes, too, when we talk about the budgeting aspect, you can almost right. reverse engineer what your practice needs to look exactly. like in order for your, your self-diagnosis yeah. to be good you know, right. or, or better than it is now. So guys, this is great stuff. Um, I mean, self-diagnosing yourself, you can't, you can't do it enough. Um, it's the whole mindset of you, you can't get to where you want to go if you don't know where you currently stand. So what we'll do in, in this episode too, we'll share some, um, some, some gives, I guess, if you will, share the scorecard and, and Dr. Abernathy, you've got some great tools there on the self-diagnosis aspect. We'll, we'll share those out. And guys, if you have questions, let us know. We're happy to help. And um, I mean, I've got episodes in my mind. We'll, we'll, sh we'll shoot soon. So guys, appreciate the time. Uh, go diagnose yourself. You got the time now. So take the time, diagnose yourself, see where you are so you can get better in the future. Guys, appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah.